Thanks for listening to NapaBroadcasting.com. Local voices, local conversations. Welcome back to NapaBroadcasting.com. As an agricultural community, we're faced and forced to live in harmony with nature. That means dealing with problems such as drought, climate change, the glassy wing sharpshooter, and the European grapevine moth. For Napa County, the good news is that while we can't yet solve climate change and drought, we have, or at least so it seems, conquered the moth. Here to explain where we are and what's next, I'm joined by Napa County Ag Commissioner Greg Clark. Greg, thanks so much for coming in. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you here. We can't do anything about some of those bigger problems, but it looks like we were doing a pretty good job in terms of uh, this European grapevine moth. Yeah, so far, uh, the, 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 the results that we've achieved, uh, when I say we, I'm talking about the, uh, you know, the wine grape industry here locally that involves both the growers and the wineries, also the, the community uh, generally, because uh, if you go around town, you'll see that you know, people like a little bit of the Napa Valley, and that might mean even having their very own uh, grapevines in their yards. But also the state and federal government and the county of Napa, of course, have all worked really, really hard to... Uh, uh, make tremendous progress on eradicating this moth. When it was first found in 2009, uh, the the damage it caused, what we saw was uh, was shocking. And it wasn't until 2010 when we really uh, came to understand that it was a countywide issue, and was subsequently found in you know 10 other counties uh, in Northern California. And so it. Uh, really seemed to be an almost insurmountable task uh, to try and uh, work to eradicate this, this pest that had never been found in the United States before. Talk a little bit about what the pest does, how it acts, and why it's so devastating. Yeah. European grapevine moth is just, uh, as its name say, says, it, it's a moth. It's not very big. It's, it's very small. Uh, it's native to the Mediterranean area, and uh, it has three generations a year. And the first generation, uh, after it overwinters, it comes out in the spring when the, the days get uh, longer and it starts to warm up. It will fly, uh, mate, and lay an egg on the flowers as the grape develops. And then that larva feeds on uh, the, the flowers of the grapevine and causes a little bit of crop reduction. Uh, maybe not significant. It probably depends on how bad the infestation is. Uh, and, you know, in the vine... You might say that's a little natural thinning in a way. The vine will continue to grow and produce fruit. The second generation develops uh, later in June or July, and it feeds on the uh, pea-sized berries, if you will. They're, they're, they're still green. They haven't changed color. And it causes some damage to fruit. But really, by far, the most destructive part is uh, this third generation that develops here in the Napa Valley occurs as the fruit ripens. And what it does is it penetrates individual berries, uh, eats the contents, and what that does is it allows the juice to flow from the berry down through the cluster and allows for uh, rot to establish. It allows bacteria and fungus organisms to develop, and it just causes a whole cluster to, to uh, collapse. It causes bunch rot. And uh, it, it, it really, um, you know, a single cluster wouldn't be the big deal, but when, uh, when it was found, it, it was really clear that, that it caused uh, damage. Is the devastation caused to wine grapes worse or the same as what it's found in the Central Valley and other grape-producing areas? They're, 
I would I would suggest <laughs> that it it's more of a problem in wine grapes, and that's generally because the clusters are tighter, the the, the berries are closer together. It provides a good habitat for the moth. Uh, it's kind of all sequestered in there in the fruit. Uh, whereas in table grapes, anyone who's bought in table grapes knows that you have these large berries. There's plenty of space in between mm-hmm. them. The Central Valley tends to be a little drier, so humidity and some other things aren't uh, aren't, aren't as conducive to its development. But uh, their issues are a little different. Our issue is wine quality. Uh, theirs uh, has to do with uh, trade impacts. You know, California uh, table grapes uh, obviously are consumed in California, the United States. And no one wants to bite into a table grape and find a, a larva, just like you would if you were eating a wormy apple. But California's table grapes are shipped around the world, and it really becomes a trade issue for those countries that don't have European grapevine moths. So the table grape industry, the stone fruit industry, was hugely concerned about this problem in Napa County and wanted to make sure that we took care of it, and that's what we've been doing. And part of it also is that because it has affected so many different kinds of grapes, both in the state of California and, and particularly, you know, our issues here in the wine region, it allowed the kind of money to become available that it is needed to, to fight this, something like $109 million. Uh, correct. Uh, by the time this project is done, uh, we hope that this time next year uh, we can have the federal and state governments declare eradication. The wine grape industry locally and probably the federal government, state and county governments, uh, will probably have spent over $100 million to eradicate this pest. Uh, you're right. Um, you know, if this was uh, Podunk County somewhere uh, with uh, a less than stellar reputation for quality, they might not get the attention or the resources. But being that this is the Napa Valley with a, a, a brand name that is recognized around the world uh, for quality, uh, you know, the federal government took a, an active interest in this. Uh, you know, the wine grape industry, obviously, uh, Congressman Mike Thompson was very instrumental in, in helping secure funding for this program. Uh, really allowed the resources to, to be available to make the progress that we have. This really, it was questionable uh, whether or not we were going to be able to make the progress that we have. Former Commissioner Dave Whitmer uh kind of went to the industry early on and said, you know, this is the kind of problem that we have to try to eradicate. Uh, if we don't, we never will. And this will be a cost of doing business that we'll have to live with for years to come. And so the industry was able to marshal their resources. Uh, the state and federal and local government was able to marshal theirs. And this has really been a, a textbook example of what a community and an industry and electeds and others can accomplish when they work, to, uh, work together. What was needed in terms of quarantine? And are those quarantines still in effect? Yes, the, the quarantines are in effect. Uh, the purpose of a quarantine, uh, unlike, uh, let's say, if you had uh, some infectious disease where you're locked in your home, you can't come or go, uh, quarantines on the agriculture side are really designed to, one, prevent the spread, but they set conditions that allow people to engage in commerce. So uh, growers had to uh, ensure that... Uh, that uh, they understood what they needed to do to manage the pest. They needed to tarp uh, their loads of wine grapes. They needed to uh, also reduce the amount of grapes in individual truckloads. So it's not uncommon to go around. You'll see fruit bins heaped with with fruit, with with grapes. And uh, sometimes those can spill out, not so much here because of the high value of the commodity, but by reducing the fill levels, uh, that prevented that. And so the, the, the quarantine was intended to minimize the spread of the pest 
and uh, that was was obviously instrumental in, in helping us do that. So while the quarantine area has been reduced uh, last year, uh, it's still in effect. Um, practical implications uh, won't be fully realized until the quarantine is lifted next year, hopefully. What is it going to take to officially be able to lift the quarantine? Yeah, normal. So how this works is you have to go six generations without finding the moth. And for purposes of eradication, they consider two generations a year. I talked about three. Uh, part of that third generation will actually start to overwinter this time of year. And so they don't consider that a full uh, generation because uh, some of those insects may be overwintering. So we go six generations without having a find. Uh, and at this point, we're at four generations. So it's been two years since we found any moths. And for uh, listeners, uh, they might think that that's not that big of a deal, but they need to understand that in 2010, we trapped over 100,000 moths countywide. And to go from that point to where we are for the last two years of not finding any really is a huge accomplishment. Talk a little bit about the methods used to try and find them, to trap them, and how we know how accurate that is. Yeah. So uh, most uh, insects uh, release a pheromone, a chemical sex attractant, in order to mate, and European grape mine moth is no different. So what we have done is we have uh, 100 traps per square mile in the vineyard production areas that use this uh, sex pheromone, and it's designed to attract the moth to the trap. And uh, it's been very effective in, in terms of us monitoring and finding out where the, the pest is. When we find a moth in a trap, then uh, the growers are notified within a 500-meter radius, and they use uh, some chemical treatments. There's some organic options that are available that are very effective. And then the conventional insecticides that are used uh, were chosen specifically because they had the lowest impacts on beneficials in the environment. Um, and, and, and so that's uh, been very, very effective. The other thing that has been instrumental in this is uh, what's called mating disruption, is using that same uh -huh. pheromone in the traps, is deploying it through the vineyard uh, with these dispensers uh, so that it confuses any of the males that are out there. They can't find the female. And uh, that has just been, uh, in conjunction with the chemical treatments, has just been tremendously effective. Where else in the world is this a problem now, yeah, either so, here in the States or, or in Europe? Yeah, so the pest, uh, as I've said, was uh, native to the, the Mediterranean. It uh, was believed to have evolved in the, you know, Italy, Spain, France, and in that area. It's been found in Israel and other parts of the Mediterranean. In uh, 2008, it was found in Chile um, about a year before we discovered that uh, we had it. And uh, it most likely moved to Chile, uh, they believe, on uh, farm equipment, uh, mechanical harvesting equipment from Europe. Uh, we were never able to identify how it got to the Napa Valley, which is a cause of concern. And I can talk about that in a minute. Um, some of the DNA analysis that was done showed that it was uh, a match for Europe. It was closely matched the moths population in Chile. So it was either we both got it introduced at about the same time, they got it from us, or we got it from them. Um, but at this point, we don't know. The reason why that's a concern of, is knowing how it got here is that we can't uh, block that pathway. Mm -hmm. uh, pests, uh, whether it's an insect, a weed, an animal, find certain pathways, usually human-caused, uh, that provide an avenue for it to, to travel. And uh, you know, if anyone's ever been uh, 
to Hawaii or elsewhere, you know, you're inspected. You go through an inspection station. You're asked to declare what you have, and that's to prevent the spread of pests. And so the, the same thing happens with farm equipment. It happens with winery equipment. Uh, but without knowing how it got here, we can't guarantee that that pathway is closed. So one of the things that we've been working to do is to educate the wine grape industry on how business practices may contribute to the spread of invasive pests, those introductions. Uh, you know, a, a, a piece of equipment can move uh, from halfway across the world overnight now. Uh, it used to take months, and those pests might have died at sea. Uh, nowadays, it can come, you know, air freight, and it, if it's not properly labeled, if it just says machinery, no one's going to know to take a close look at it. Seldom do people write nasty, dirty, filthy <laughs> farm equipment, uh, but that's the kind of labeling and disclosure. And so if people are aware of that, then they can make sure that when they go through their supply chain, they can, you know, work to make sure that what they get is clean. Do we have any theories as to how it did get here? I mean, this is certainly a possibility that it came with equipment or dirty equipment yeah. or something, but are there, are there more narrow theories as to how it got here? Well, you know, people can postulate all they want, and at the, at the, uh, I won't entertain any of those because I don't want to offend anyone or, or uh, falsely accuse people. But I'm Well, I was a, more referring to method yeah, as opposed exactly. to individual. <laughs> uh, some people claim they know, but uh, usually it's, it's just a suspicion. Um, this particular pest, because it is uh, found on fruit, it overwinters under the bark of the, on the vine, uh, it's unlikely that it was brought in on plant material because mm -hmm. people aren't bringing in whole grapevines. Right. They may bring in some budwood. Uh, they may bring in something, but there's no bark for the, for the, the, the moth to pupate under. It's unlikely that someone's bringing in whole clusters of fruit. Uh, that wouldn't make any sense. Uh, they might rot. They, they do all those. You know, it's just illogical. Uh, so it's possible it could have been on a pallet with farm equipment. People move stuff close to the vineyard. If it's from a winery, they say, hey, go park that over there, and we'll get to that later. Someone calls. They want something shipped. Grab that pallet. Put it on there. Away it goes. So it may have been in there. It could have been. Uh, if you've ever seen a mechanical harvester, there's you know thousands of moving pieces, nooks and crannies, and if mm -hmm. those aren't cleaned, it could be uh, sequestered in there. It could be in cardboard boxes. It might have gotten in on uh, you know some imported uh, product that way. But at this point, we just don't know. Uh, the federal government did come in, do an investigation, interviewed a lot of people, looked at business practices, essentially came up with the same findings that I just told you is that you know, one method might have been more likely than another, but at the end of the day, we just mm -hmm. don't know. How did our experience trying to eradicate the glassy wing sharpshooter kind of set the stage for how we had to deal with getting rid of the grapevine moth? That's a very good question. Um, you know, it, it really, a lot of what I had to do is two things. One is having a relationship with the industry that understands uh, the risk that a pest poses, uh, it, it's not just an individual problem, it's not an individual grower's problem, it becomes a community or an industry's concern and problem. Uh, Napa Valley uh, does a very good job of uh, cooperation as well as competition. There's a spirit of collaboration and so that uh, people work together for a common cause on many, many issues and, and pestilence is one that, that they also do that. And that started with glass and wing sharpshooter to make people aware of it, to rally together to prevent uh, a threat to the industry. The other is this whole education and outreach component. People have seen uh, uh, hopefully, over the last 15 years, the, the advertisements, the billboards, uh, the mailers, a variety of things regarding glass and wing sharpshooter that we've used to communicate that message. We've used that same kind of uh, 
methodology with European Grapevine Moth to educate the public. Uh, this isn't just the wine grape industry's concern. It's everyone's concern, and everyone can play a part. Uh, they just need to understand what they can do. And so being able to tailor our message and, and uh, get that out to people in a meaningful way has been very, very helpful. And is it safe to say that, that at this point we have, for all intents and purposes, eradicated, or so we think so? We're going to knock on wood and say that we've made very, very good progress, and we, you know, we still have some work to go. Hopefully, another year. Um, can these things come back? Well, that goes back to the pathways. Yeah. You know, one is that you can think that you can eradicate a pest, think that you have, and this is probably the path that we're going to follow. Is that based on this criteria that a uh, technical working group, of, a panel of scientific advisors from around the world that are familiar with this pest, came up with these guidelines and said, if you follow these guidelines. Uh, the, this is the yardstick. These are the, the, the metrics we're going to use to manage this pest and at some point declare eradication. Um, even with that, the possibility exists that the pest might be somewhere at some low level uh, just because of, you know, it, 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 it's hard to be everywhere and do everything. So we will continue to trap and monitor for the pest for several years after eradication is declared just to make sure. That's one issue. The other is this whole thing of pathways. We don't know how it got here. If it found its way here, it's possible that it uh, will find its way here again. And, you know, in Napa County, we have a wine grape pest and disease control district, a special district, that the uh, wine grape growers all assess themselves on a per acre basis to fund uh, not only parts of our glassing sharpshooter program, but also a trapping programs uh, to look for pests that we haven't found before in, in Napa County or even the United States. When we found European grapevine moth, it, it would kind of was one of those uh, times to be a little introspective and say, what else is going on out there in the world that we right. ought to be concerned about? So we developed a program where we're trapping for some other pests that caused just you know, as significant a damage and the industry's paying for that trapping as well. One of the things we've talked about, and I talked about but with your colleague uh, Dave Whitmer before uh, you, was all the scientific research and efforts that were going on with respect to glassy wing sharpshooter and, and ways to eliminate that using the most cutting-edge science. Where did that all end up, and is that applicable to the grapevine moth as well? Um, it, that, that, that research is still ongoing because it's pest-specific in terms of Pierce's disease, uh, in glassy wing, there isn't a whole lot of relevance to mm -hmm. European grapevine moth. Uh, you know, when we started the glassy wing sharpshooter program 15 years ago, uh, the main uh, focus and the hope was that if we could just get seven, eight, ten years uh, without having the pest introduced into Napa County from Southern California, that would give enough time for the researchers to do some work and identify either the resistant varieties to right. Pierce's disease. Uh, to find uh, beneficial insects that might control it, to develop some other strategies. So 15 years into it, we still don't have glassy-winged sharpshooter. The threat still exists. It still moves around California. Uh, and some of that research is still going on. Uh, Dr. Andy Walker with uh, UC Davis is doing some, uh, uh, some plant breeding where he's developed uh, uh, vinifera varieties uh, or grape varieties that are 98% vinifera. Uh, that's vinifera is really what we make quality wines with, mm -hmm. and uh, they're showing that with this 98% vinifera, that he's developed grapevines that are resistant to Pierce's disease. Um, that doesn't mean that we're going to change all the grapevines in Napa County. Uh, these grapes make okay wine. 
they don't make vintage quality Napa wine. Uh, what that would allow is for people in certain areas where Pierce's disease naturally occurs uh, to possibly plant those to uh, still have some productivity to get a return on their investment and maybe we ship those grapes out of county. Uh, maybe they're used for blending, but they're certainly not going to be appearing on a, a label on a bottle anytime uh, at a store near you. I want to move away from insects and bugs for, for a few minutes and talk a little bit about what the latest thinking is and what the latest activity is vis-a-vis concern about climate change and how it's going to impact the agricultural industry here in Napa. That's a, a good question. Uh, you know, when we have hot days like uh, we've had for the last couple, um, it, it's easy to get caught up in the media hype uh, over the impacts of climate change. And, and I'm not saying that, it, that the climate hasn't changed. Uh, it's just, you know, the hot weather we're experiencing now, for instance, we have hot days during the summer. Uh, but it's clear over the last several years with drought, uh, with limited rainfall, with moderate uh, uh, seasonal temperatures, we're not getting too cold, we're not getting too hot, that, that something has changed. Uh, you know, some of the experts have estimated that the, the temperature here in the Napa Valley may change, you know, a couple mm-hmm. degrees. Because it's Napa Valley where they're doing this research, uh, not only is the Napa name connected with uh, premium wine, it also makes for sensational research. Uh, I don't put a lot of stock in it. Um, we'll just have to wait and see what uh, – uh, We'll just have to see what, what time tells us uh, as things evolve. Um, it's hard to imagine that, you know, a degree or two difference in the, the mean or average temperature is going to make a significant difference in wine grape production in the Napa Valley. But it might change where people farm, what varieties they farm in certain Appalachians. But at this point, uh, like so much in the Napa Valley, uh, things are good. We have a good water supply uh, based on our groundwater availability. Uh, some of the studies that have been done recently show that our aquifers uh, recharge rapidly on a seasonal basis. That's not to say that there aren't areas that uh, we ought to be concerned about, the Sarcotulake uh, area and maybe Mount Veter and some other uh, areas of the county. When you get off the valley floor, do have uh, some water availability issues. It's hoped that with the recycled water uh, projects uh, out in Carneros and out in the Sarcotulake, that that will provide people with some uh, additional water resources. But, um, you know, I, it's, uh, things are going well. Uh, that doesn't mean that we all, you know, shouldn't be good stewards of the environment and watch what we do. It certainly caused me pause uh, uh, to, to think about uh, the impacts that my behavior has and on future generations. But as it stands now, we have a, a thriving wine grape industry, given there's going to be seasonal variabilities anyway. And is there anything else that we should be worrying about in terms of, of the ag industry here? Uh, you know, there there's, are always going to be ongoing issues. Uh, labor availability, uh, you know, is an issue. Fortunately, we have a workforce that is uh, compensated very well. They're treated very well uh, by uh, the, 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 the people that employ them. Um, and what I mean by that is that... Uh, you know, the, the average uh, person who works in the vineyards, for instance, uh, you know, makes well above the minimum wage. Um, that isn't necessarily the case throughout uh, other parts of California. Um, but that, that certainly is an issue, and given current events and uh, discussions and politics about immigration, um, you know, we need to make sure that we have a stable workforce here. 
Uh, I always go back to, you know, pestilence, of course, is uh, we have our, our, our agricultural economy last year generated $420 million, $720 million, I'm sorry, in, in revenue. Uh, $715 million of that is wine grapes. So 99% of our agriculture value is from wine grapes. And so that, you know, poses unique opportunities, but it also poses uh, unique challenges in terms of a monoculture. Uh, so we continue to need to be aware of that. And as climate changes, uh, we may see other pests, you know, migrating and moving uh, into California and elsewhere. And so we just always need to be vigilant in, in, in that aspect. Napa County Ag Commissioner Greg Clark, I thank you so much for coming in and sharing some of this with us. Thank you very much for that. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to NapaBroadcasting.com.